Hello, my AOWs. Welcome back to the show. It is January 25th, 26th, the end of January, and I'm hanging in there just like you are. This morning, I was opening the shades. It's still gray. It's still gloomy. And my mood mirrors the weather very much. Another way of saying this is seasonal affective disorder, which I've self-diagnosed myself with, and many people who live in the Northeast probably also self-diagnose themselves with, but seasonal affective disorder can sometimes put me into a mood, and I'm probably in one of those moods today. In this episode, I want to talk about why there isn't enough menopause doctors, or Docs specifically thinking about hormones and how they affect a woman throughout her lifetime, but particularly in midlife and how it affects chronic disease. So that is what we're going to get into today as I battle the midwinter blues. All right, let's do it. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. You know, I have been thinking a lot. Well, I'm always thinking a lot, but yesterday my best friend called me just in a way. And she probably didn't mean for this to go on my podcast, but she called me and she said, I got out of bed, I fell, I can't get up, I feel really dizzy, I need help. And so I went to help my friend and that isn't really necessarily the part of the story, but the part of the story is that then after we got our kids to school and got some breakfast in their bellies, we sat down and we were really talking about how I think a lot of this could be hormonal. And the fun part here is that I'm a little biased. I think a lot of things are hormonal, but the fun part is that I'm actually not biased. I think a lot of things really are hormonal. And for far too long, saying like, that's hormonal, it's just been seen as cute. It's just been seen as cute. Like 51% of us in the United States make estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone that after puberty go up and down every single month, every single day. Once we hit perimenopause, they become very, very volatile and unpredictable. And then after menopause, these hormones crash and burn. And if you think that these hormones don't affect every single cell in our body, you're absolutely out of your mind. And you're probably not listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably wholeheartedly believe me. And we do not know what we do not know. We know a fair amount. We know that estrogen plays a role not just in our heat and our body temperatures, but our insulin resistance, our metabolism, joint aches and pains, sexual dysfunction, mood. We know this from research, although not very much, but we know this. We know it affects our bones. We know it affects our heart. Do you think it doesn't affect every aspect of our body and that those hormonal fluctuations aren't legitimate? They are. They are. But reason number one on why there isn't enough menopause, midlife, whatever you want to call them, doctors, is because no one gives a shit. Uh, Quite frankly, I already told you my introduction, I'm in a little bit of a way, but no one has given a shit or very few people have. You might be like, what about OBGYNs? Don't they care about female things? You know, sure, of course. 
And there's some that do. And there's many women who listen to this podcast who are clinicians. And of course you care. And I'm not speaking to you. I was an OBGYN resident for a hot second. When I graduated medical school, I started my career in OBGYN. And I realized for multitudes of reasons that it wasn't the right fit for me. It's interesting though, that my little bit of time as an OBGYN and many of my colleagues who are OBGYNs and most all of my patients who have OBGYNs tell me that their OBGYNs know nothing about hormones. They know the basics. We all know the bare basics. They know the bare basics, some better than others. <laughs> they know, but they don't, I don't think anyone really sits and thinks about how they could have really uh, nuanced effects on things like our blood pressure or POTS, which is the diagnosis of postural orthostatic hypotension and instability or connective tissue disorders or rheumatologic conditions. I think we all know how hormones work in terms of your estrogen goes up and then you have an LH surge and then testosterone peaks and then you ovulate. And then if sperm meets egg, there is fertilization and then there is pregnancy and then you grow that thing for nine months and then we deliver it in the hospital. Ha ha ha. Okay. I know my mood is something else, but I'm being honest. And even most Doctors, internists, family medicine, OBGYNs, even the most caring of clinicians don't know enough about how that affects chronic disease. They think what stays in pregnancy, what happens in pregnancy stays in pregnancy. How does preeclampsia affect your risk for hypertension later on? How about postpartum depression? How about PMS? All of these things are windows of our hormones screaming to us what they're doing and how they're feeling and how it's affecting us. And we're like, oh, that little thing that happened that one time. But luckily the baby was born and he's fine. And now he's 14 and blah, 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 right? So no one's really given a shit. Menopause has been made to be so invisible, so invisible. And you can tell because the most common myths about menopause are still, aren't I done with menopause? How long will these symptoms last? There's nothing that can be done. I need to stick through it and be heroic. This is a natural process, so nothing can be done. And the treatment options, are, if I have to do it, are pretty unsafe. All, all of that is not true. But that's what we're constantly told. You know, we're not told about how menopause can affect our marriage, how menopause can affect parenting, how menopause can make you socially isolated, how menopause can make you want to quit your job or lose your job. Nobody talks about these things that each one of these things are a whole podcast episode or a whole presentation in and of themselves. And so one of the reasons there are no menopause doctors is because it's made completely invisible and no one has historically given a shit. It's true. If you have another opinion on this, do write me in. Do DM me on Instagram. I'm at Heather Hirsch, MD. Do find me on TikTok. Leave a comment. Now, it doesn't mean it's all bad. It doesn't mean it's all bad. People are really, really working on this, right? You have been listening to my show. If you haven't, uh, welcome. This is probably a harsh episode to jump into because um, I, you know, I just going to be real with you. I uh, started my career as an OBGYN. I always wanted to take care of women. So I said, well, I have to go into OBGYN and I have to deliver babies because that is how you take care of women. That is the only thing that is important when taking care of women. Delivering a baby is the only thing. Oh, oh, and birth control. Yes. And not getting you pregnant if you don't want to. Though 
those are the only things I'm being sarcastic. But I, I, I anyways, to save spare you the story there, I transitioned to internal medicine. And when I transitioned into internal medicine, I loved it. I learned so much about the body, so much about how, uh, you know, our respiratory system, our internal organs, our liver, our, our, our kidneys make all of these things happen on a daily basis. It's kind of like the wizard of Oz, like the man behind the curtains, just doing it all. And you don't even notice, but nobody connects the two. Nobody connects the two right? OBGYNs are, are so busy. They are trained to be in high-risk situations, high-risk pregnancies, emergency surgeries, and then gynecologic emergencies like a hysterectomy and other complex surgeries. And internists know so much about complicated medications and their interactions with each other and how to diagnose uh, what we call zebras, which are really rare disorders. And how to learn how to talk through people, common things like how to care about your blood pressure or your anxiety disorder and why medications are safe. But nobody connects the two. Nobody connects the two. So what is happening? People are podcasting. People are talking about it. People are raising awareness. There's been amazing uptick in articles, even in the New York Times, I'm pretty sure in 2021, And then into 2022, there was like 10 articles about menopause and perimenopause. Yet how many articles are there about cardiovascular disease and the new uh, cardiovascular wing at your hospital and the money being donated to cardiovascular disease? Now, the funny thing is, is that cardiovascular disease is highly connected to hormones, but nobody connects the two. Nobody connects the two. Menopause is made invisible. So obviously we need three cardiologists per each human walking the face of the earth, but 250 menopause doctors for the, you know, 50 million postmenopausal that women that we have in the United States is probably fine. It's probably sufficient. It sounds so egregious, but this is, these are the facts. This is absolutely true. We do not have enough menopause doctors because nobody has historically connected the two and hence nobody has historically given a shit. All right. Reason number two, there's no money to be made in menopause. It's just true. But this is important to let you know if you're not in the healthcare field, because healthcare is, it's a little bit of a mess. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And I'm a patient as well as I'm a doctor, and it's a disaster on both ends. It's a disaster on both ends. One of the reasons I joined Midi Health was because while I had my seemingly wonderful job at Harvard working on my menopause clinic, I had a wait list that was like nine months long. It was getting outlandish. It was getting ridiculous. And we were working on hiring a nurse practitioner and this and that. And everyone would say to me, wow, you have that many people on your wait list. Like you're so popular. No, I would say that's not it. It's because there's nobody else. This is this is horseshit. This is crazy. This is unfair. This is unsustainable for me. This is unsustainable for many of us. It's unsustainable. But there's no money in menopause. And again, I want to tell you this because you kind of need to understand one of the reasons that drives people to go into certain fields. Now, you're all smart and you know this in basic common sense, right? This kind of doctor makes more money than that kind of doctor. In our healthcare system, what is rewarded, if you call money a reward, which it doesn't have to be, but if you call money a reward, operational specialties, 
or specialties that can see lots of people very fast, i.e. dermatology, right? Plus surgery. So win, win, win makes the most money. And look, if you're a smart person going to medical school, which is not the best way to make money, like for under no circumstances is that the best way to make money. It's not, it's not like you're going to be struggling, but you know, the really smart people get into med school, look around and they go, Oh, Hmm, let's make the best of this. <laughs> I got to, I got to live in this world too. So, you know, specialties that operate specialties that can see a lot of patients, urology. My best friends are urologists. Two of my best friends are urologists. And that's not a ding on them. They they literally love that job. I mean, you have to be a resident for like six or eight years, especially if you do a fellowship. So I'm not saying these are not quick paths to success, but these are subconscious cues that certain specialties are better, are smarter and get rewarded more. Primary care, family medicine, internal medicine, OBGYN, OBGYN has procedures, right? But so take that out then. Procedure uh, clin- uh, specialties in internal medicine that don't do procedures don't make any money. So break that down. Cardiology procedures makes money. Menopause, no procedures, no money. It's just true. It doesn't make money. It doesn't make a hospital money. It's not very profitable. There's no, there is no surgical cost. There's no high RVU cost. Now. This system, if you don't know what an RVU is, please do not find out because it will it will just drive you absolutely wild. But if you want to go down a rabbit hole, like go on Reddit and figure out what an RVU is. <laughs> Honestly, many of us doctors don't know. It's this mystical thing. It's a mythical point system for how much a patient is worth. How much a patient is worth. And the work that I do, if I spend 30 minutes with you, 20 minutes with you, an hour with you, is worth about a 90th of if someone took out your prostate. You don't have a prostate. (laughs) If someone took out a lump in your breast, a 90th, but it's not fair. You can't compare them, but they are compared. And that is the way people choose what medicine practice to go into. That's how they choose. This is also why a lot of good doctors are leaving hospital care. They are leaving insurance plans because it's not sustainable for them. They have trained so hard. They have so much to give, but they are being burdened unnecessarily and not being rewarded, want to spend more time with people. And some people who have the financial means are also willing to pay that. So we're getting into a ridiculous conundrum. So people don't give a shit about menopause and menopause doesn't make any money. So there is no incentive to give a shit. Wow. I'm in a way, I'm in a way. I know I'm in a way. I'm sorry, but just, you got to roll with it today. I hope it's like cloudy where you are. So you feel the same energy that I have, but it's true. And we just have to face the facts, but it's not all bad, right? People are podcasting. People are putting nonprofits together. People are collaborating together. People are forming telemedicine companies like Midi Health, which I was so excited because I wanted to solve this access problem. I wanted to train more people. I wanted to be able to scale my brain because if I sit and talk to one person every single day, while that's amazing for you, of course, <laughs> like that is never going to be enough. And there will never be enough of us, at least in our lifetime. There just won't. There just won't. So I have to figure out ways that I can multiply that and reach other people and get help because we should be caring. People should be giving a shit because there's so much there. Hormones are not just cute. They're a legitimate and daily, they're a legitimate and daily and cellular recurrence of, of physiologic things that happen to our bodies. So people should care. Reason number three 
on why there are not enough menopause doctors is it's hard. It's really hard. I'm not going to downplay that. It's really hard. It takes a lot of computing. It takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of time. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to make an algorithm for it without a ton of data. If my brain has become an algorithm, I have had 10 plus years of data. It's hard because it doesn't follow a linear pattern. Let's take, for example, hypertension. You come into the doctor, your blood pressure is going up, probably hormones. Your blood pressure is going up, okay, at midlife because you're stressed and your you know, endothelial uh, lining is changing because you're losing estrogen. Estrogen is a vasodilator, and so you're, you're starting to get hypertension. You're not sleeping because you're losing your estrogen and you're tossing and turning. And so your body is releasing cortisol, estrogen, hormones. Anyways, you have plain old hypertension. Doctor looks at you and says, okay, we're going to start first line treatment, hydrochlorothiazide, 25 milligrams, low sartan, 25 milligrams. Okay, here you go. Come back and see me in four weeks. Good. Blood pressure's gone down. Algorithm solved. It was really easy. Oh, it's still high. Okay. Let's add a second agent. Let's add nifedipine. Let's add, um, you know, whatever it might be, right? Second line, first line. Okay. Okay. Oh, you need three agents. If you need three agents for your blood pressure, it's time to send you to a nephrologist. It's time to rule out other causes of hypertension other than just vascular instability and vasoconstriction. Okay. Let's figure out and let's make sure we rule out any of those other causes. There is a really clear protocol. No one's asking about um, when your period was, how many days you bled for, what color it is, when you were anxious, when you were tired, when you felt horny. No one's asking you about that. But that's what I need to do. And I need to take all these random pieces of data going back from your pregnancy to your teenage years. I don't know if I go that far back, but I could, but I don't have enough time. And I need to like compute all of this and figure out what you might have a sensitivity. Is it fluctuation? Is it the low level? Is it estrogen? Is it progesterone? Is it testosterone? Is it affecting this tissue? Is it affecting that tissue? What medications are you already on? What have you already tried before? What are you, what is contraindicated for you? What about your history? Are you at risk for cancers? Have you had that mammogram? I have to compute a lot of things that there's no good algorithm for. At least not yet. And that's what makes it really hard. And I have to listen, like, and I have to listen hard. And I have to put together a lot of pieces. And it takes a long time to be able to do that. Now, listen, you could argue it takes a long time to be a urologist. My best friend, I saw her not sleep for like six years. And now she's great at what she does and she loves it. And we had this fun conversation the other day. I, like, I love telemedicine. She's like, I hate that. I love operating. I love the lights. I love the adrenaline. I love the music. And I'm like, ah, I love sitting in my sweatpants. <laughs> I love getting up and getting another cup of coffee whenever I want. I love petting my dog and smelling her in the middle of the day. And so it's not to say that other things aren't hard. It's not to say other things aren't hard, but it's not been taught in medical schools. It's not been shown to young smart doctors how important and how much data needs to be taken, gotten, received, figured out there. <laughs> it hasn't made anyone any money and it's not going to. And that's okay. So with all that combined and the fact that it's 
not only hard to get there and hard to see it and then hard to do it, that's why there's not a lot of menopause doctors. And there's 20 to 50 times the amount of cardiologists there are to the amount of menopause doctors they are. Yet every woman should potentially have a menopause doctor. Everyone. And if you are lucky enough to get my book or you want to get my book or you want to read my book, even though if you've listened to the show, you know a lot about menopause, but not only about, uh, is it hard, but there's so many different kinds. There's early menopause, there's surgical menopause, there's fertility struggles, there's loss of self-esteem, there's lots of sense of self. There's so many medical complexities there that actually make it really quite hard. And I think that people are are figuring this out. I think that people, and when I mean people, I mean smart people who are trying to, who are trying to, they're realizing it's hard. They're realizing it's really hard. All right, guys, I love you. I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hit me up on Instagram or TikTok or wherever you like to follow me. I'm at Heather Hirsch MD. Don't forget to pre-order my book, Unlock Your Menopause Type. The the cool thing about my book is there's so much new content in there. So, you know, even if you've been an avid listener to the show, there's so much new content there. It's just going to be so amazing for book clubs. It's going to be so amazing to talk to friends about. It's going to be so amazing to open the dialogue because it is very individualized, again, which makes it hard to study, which makes it really hard to do. But I'm really, really excited as it's going to be rolling out in the spring and in the summer uh, to keep talking to you guys about that. Please do apologize. I mean, I do apologize for my mood, kind of, sort of, not really. Women shouldn't apologize, (laughs) right? Girls, stop apologizing. Um, But thank you. Thank you so much for being an avid listener to the show. Thank you for being such a fan and and just sharing it and, and helping in this movement. It is going to get better. There are people working on this hard. I am working on this really hard. I think about this all the time. And that's why I can sit down in this chair and just go (laughs) and just talk. But together, we are really stronger. And even though I probably got that from my Peloton instructor, you know it's true. All right, guys, I will see you next week for a brand new episode. Till then, be well. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Good.